This episode of Phone Booth Fighting from the Bent Pixel Studios in suburban Las Vegas, Nevada is once again brought to you by Low T Nation. LowTNation.com, Frank, the uh, one stop on the internet that every male listener of ours needs to make. Uh, particularly if they are a mature male, which is uh, the way us old guys like to describe ourselves. Uh, but maybe if you're even uh, younger than me, I mean, you could be looking at this as early as uh, your 30s, getting into your 40s, uh, certainly getting out of your 40s into your 50s. Uh, bottom line, if you are a male and uh, you're, you're slowing down by uh, nature's uh, progression of age and you're feeling like you've lost a little pep in your step, then uh, lowtnation.com is the website you need to visit. Now, what you're going to do is call a toll-free number right there on the front of the website. You'll get uh, a couple of good phone booth fighting listeners who uh, run everything over at lowtnation.com, and uh, they will do a free telephone consultation from there. Frank, uh, maybe you can explain further what uh, the next couple of steps are to getting on the road to wellness well the consultation will let them know if you're, you're somebody who may be a possible candidate at that time they'll send you down if you do pass all the uh, the marks uh, look like they could be of use to you uh, you'll go down to a local blood draw uh, get blood drawn and uh, once they get the results the physicians will be able to figure out exactly what you need and at that point they'll uh, mail it directly to your house every month you'll have it very consistently sent to you so it can be even more convenient uh, week after week, month after month, we hear from more and more phone booth fighting listeners who have benefited from the LowTNation.com program. You could be next. Go to LowTNation.com, give that toll-free number a call, and tell them Frank Muir and Richard Hunter at Phone Booth Fighting sent you. This episode, Frank, is also brought to you by Ellefson Coffee. EllefsonCoffeeCo.com, if you know the last name and you're a metalhead, well, that's probably because you recognize the founding bass player of Megadeth, Dave Ellefson, who's out on the road with Megadeth. I think they were over in uh, Spain or something this week for a big uh, metal festival. But uh, he advertises with us not uh, necessarily because of his uh, life as a founding member of one of the big four, but uh, as a coffee entrepreneur, ellisoncoffeeco.com. Check it out. There is a, uh, a wide selection of signature roasts with uh, a heavy metal flavor to them. And uh, you can save 10% on your purchase at checkout if you enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH. 10% off anything uh, that you order off of ellisoncoffeeco.com by entering the promo code PHONEBOOTH, E-L-L-E-F. S-O-N, Ellefson, coffeeco.com. Put your uh, devil horns in the air and uh, let Dave know that uh, his uh, good friends Richard Hunter and Frank Muir of Phone Booth Fighting sent you. All right, Frank. Frank is uh, back in studio after a week in the Bahamas. Um, you know, it's, it's a good thing you're not with the UFC anymore, Frank, because uh, this was International Fight Week, and if you were still with them, I could see them calling you up and going, hey, uh, can we get you down here to the uh, 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 Sprint, P what do they do, Metro PCS booth out here in the sweltering heat to <laughs> take some photos and sign some pictures? You'd be like, well, I've been in the Bahamas for the better part of two weeks. 
Yeah, it was a long trip. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I I talked to you a number of times actually. I could tell uh, it must be uh, must be wearing a little thin when you seemed excited to talk to me on the phone while you were uh, <laughs> on your vacation in the Bahamas. I'm excited to talk to you, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, I mean you know, uh, great being out there on the beach and stuff, but um. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, too long. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, i tell you what, what a difference a week makes in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, the weekend ended up really being historic. Uh, UFC 226, of course, the night before was preceded by the Ultimate Fighter finale, the undefeated season. But uh, it was all about UFC 226 Saturday night at the T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. Daniel Cormier makes history. Daniel Cormier knocks out heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic in the first round. Uh, Cormier becomes the new heavyweight champion. He's already the the reigning light heavyweight champion. He becomes the fourth fighter in UFC history to hold two titles in two different weight classes, joining BJ Penn, Randy Couture, and Conor McGregor. And he and Conor McGregor are the only two fighters to ever hold two titles at the same time. Now, I'll tell you, Frank, I, I had two thoughts going into this fight, uh, one of which was right, which was my uh, prediction of Cormier. Now, I agree with you. He didn't win the way I thought he was going to win. I agree with you on that one. Because the, the part that I was wrong on is that Stipe has exhibited a lot of power Sorry. in uh, – it's okay – has exhibited uh, power in short space. And I thought that could be uh, something that would prevent Cormier. I, I, I would know that he would want to get a hold of Stipe and close that distance, but I thought uh, Stipe's power you know, in the clinch uh, could be more of an issue. And it turns out that's exactly – we've got a highlight here. This is exactly how Cormier knocked out Stipe. Cormier was not afraid to move in. And that's it right there. He went for that collar tie and then a, a, a big short right that dropped him. Can we go back and look at it one more time? Maybe there, Mikey. Maybe even a little further. Yeah, there's the collar. Trying that collar tie and then drops him. Uh, did the uh, so, so you like Cormier. First of all, let me ask you why you like Cormier in this, Frank, because you and I really didn't have a chance to talk about it. You know it. what? <clears throat> I think Stipe has done a good job of out-wrestling guys that are not – great wrestlers but i wasn't convinced that his wrestling pedigree is anywhere yeah. near what cormier's is that's what, what i mean yeah. and and so that was my thing and i'm like well daniel's a very smart guy he's not going to box with him at long range and so i thought that it was going to be a grind fest i figured that mm-hmm. daniel was going to wrestle him to death take him down we were going to have to see if stipe could fight off his back at all or survive there and i didn't think it was impossible for him to finish him but i thought it was going to be a ground and pound tko if there was going to be a finish um type of fight and i didn't the only thing that kind of came into my mind about the knockout i didn't predict that it would have been a right hook is that the only other time i seen stipe well he got in trouble with alistair with with alistair threw a straight left out of a southpaw stance but if you remember uh um stefan struve hurt him with an uppercut yeah and so i thought well maybe the uppercut will play into this not to knock him out but mm-hmm. to do damage as far as as daniel shoots in for the legs mm-hmm. stipe is going to be very respectful of daniel's takedown ability and at that point open himself up for uppercuts and then after he eats a few of those uppercuts 
he's going to respect the uppercut, and then he's going to get taken down. And Cormier, you know, think about it, had success against John Jones with the uppercut. Yeah, he did. He did very good with the taller color fighter. Cut, yeah. So that would have made uh, a lot of sense. You know, I so, just yeah. Yeah. So, but as far as first round knockout. If there was a first-round knockout and you said, okay, that, that fight ended in the first round someone got knocked out, I would have picked Stipe. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well, then Stipe was able to catch him. But if you said, okay, well, you know, it, it extended beyond that as a TKO, I would have been like, oh, it's Daniel. I never would have just – I'm just as surprised that Daniel knocked him out mm-hmm. that way as if I would have been had – you know, Stipe, who's a good wrestler, but not if he would have out wrestled, you know, Daniel to death. You know, I mean, you got to remember, Stipe's been in there with Mark Hunt. Yeah. He's been in there with Francis Ngano, guys that are just ferocious power punchers. You know, he, being punched by Alistair Overeem, recovered and got up. Uh, you know, and, and Daniel's a good boxer, but I mean, I don't think he's known as a ferocious puncher. Right. You know what I mean? Like his boxing, I mean, I always, I always go back to what, uh, Jeff Monson told me about his boxing because the first time I ever saw Cormier was when Cormier fought Monson. I was at that fight actually; it was in Dallas, and they were the alternate on out of that heavyweight uh, Grand Prix thing they were doing. Of course, Cormier ends up going to win the whole thing because Overeem goes to the UFC. If you remember that whole uh, uh, um, sequence, but Monson told me after their fight, he said. I knew his boxing – I mean, I, rather, I knew his wrestling was going to be that good. I didn't know his boxing was going to be that good. He said he's, he's actually really a good boxer. He really is. And I that mean, was back in uh, – gosh, when was that? Uh, 2011. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he has good head movement. He throws yeah. good angles. I mean, he even landed punches on John. If you watch the fight, he landed a couple shots, yeah. uppercuts in the second fight. Even I think he hit John with a punch that knocked his mouthpiece out. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he still didn't knock John out, didn't yeah. stumble John. So I'm thinking, oh, well, I mean – you know, he didn't knock John out. It isn't you know he's not going to probably knock out Stipe. And so yeah. again, I thought Daniel like on the odds makers when people ask me like, hey, who do you think's going to win? I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, I think Cormier actually is going to pull this one off, guys. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his first of all, but I never thought he was going to no, knock him out in the first round. Because if if you look at 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 KOs with uh, Cormier, first of all, a nod to this murderer's row of heavyweights that he's fought. Now, that's something that got overlooked in this. It's almost because he's, he's as you describe him, the second greatest light heavyweight of all time, yeah. right? That, you know, it's kind of easy to forget, even just a few years ago, yeah. what he was doing at heavyweight, particularly because some of it was done in strike force. But look at these wins. Uh, first of all, not, not only undefeated at heavyweight, never lost a round at heavyweight. Uh, Jeff Monson, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Josh Barnett, uh, you, Roy Nelson. Um, uh, of course, then he dropped down to uh, uh, light heavyweight. But if you look at knockouts, to your point of whether or not you know you could have predicted a KO, his knockouts and TKOs tended to be over lesser uh, – Opponents like uh, you know, there's uh, Dion Starring. Uh, he, uh, I mean, the the Rumble Johnson finish was ultimately a submission. Um, who else? Uh, Volcan Ozdemir more recently, but not the kind of guys. And that, Volcan was a ground and pound, right? Yeah, not the kind of guys. Now, the only one punch knockout shot I can remember him landing on anybody was Bigfoot Silva. Yes, that's right. I yeah. mean, you know, so I mean, just one. That's you know. and that's the one, and and by far the biggest name of anybody that he had, he had actually. Yeah, knocked I mean, out. he went toe to toe with Gustafson for five rounds. Yeah. 
you know, his grinding and his technique of wrestling and controlling, but it wasn't like he, uh, you know, I don't think he was dropping Gus all over the place. Yeah. Again, I thought that Daniel, because of his wrestling, and again, you know, because I remember even leading up to people go, well, you know, Steve is a good wrestler. I tried to even like Google and look up some shit. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find anything on it. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, if someone has a strong wrestling pedigree, yeah. it's not going to be hard to find it. You know what I mean? You know, maybe people are better than I am at Google. I mean, Someone else can tell me. Have you seen videos of him you know, wrestling no. or things that accomplished? I mean, right. I hear, oh, yeah. he wrestled in college. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so what did he do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're, so I'm like, guys, there's a difference between wrestling and college. Yeah, it's like it's like there are black belts and then there are black belts. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know basically it's like he did jujitsu and then yeah, right. now you're dealing with a guy who's a world champion mm-hmm. jujitsu artist. I mean, Daniel Cormier has gone to the Olympics for wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? He got, I think, he got third over at the Yargin. That's a huge uh, uh, Russian tournament. Like, mm-hmm. that's extraordinarily difficult, you know, to, to mm-hmm. place in. Uh, so, I mean, he's a high-level wrestler. I mean, national champion and mm-hmm. collegiate level. I didn't think – I thought it was going to be a, a drastic difference in the wrestling aspect of it. Well, there was talk uh, leading up to uh, the fight this week, and some of it was Cormier-driven. I mean, he was happy to engage in the conversation about arguing whether or not he had a place in the conversation as the greatest of all time. And it was being pointed out that, well, you know, let's let's revisit this on the other side of the weekend. But, if yeah, if you become the heavyweight champion, you're going to do something that, as I mentioned a second ago, only – four people have ever done only two holding the belt simultaneously and the more i thought about it, the more i thought you know it really does get overlooked i guess that he was as great of a heavyweight as he was because we've yeah. known him as more of a, a light heavyweight in the ufc especially with the the two john jones fights now that being said um uh mikey if you got the audio of me talking to daniel at the post-fight press conference yeah uh, give me two seconds yeah, I did bring this up to him, and I said, you know, now keep in mind, Daniel is swearing up and down that he will retire by the time he's 40, and he turns 40 in March. So he's basically saying, there. now he, he, he left the door open to defending the light heavyweight title. Of course, Brock Lesnar confronted him. We'll talk about that in a minute after the, uh, the, um, uh, the finish, but... As if Cormier is to be believed, and he really is going to retire when he's 40, you're talking about probably only another couple of uh, fights. But I asked him if, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, if uh, we have it on the screen. Uh, hold on. I, I uh, actually didn't pull this one up real quick, so let me uh, give me two seconds and I'll find it. Okay. John Jones. Has to be the elephant in the room. Okay, so here's the thing, though, about, about John. Yeah, but it, I'll tell you this, Frank. It wasn't, I've been at, I've actually seen a lot of Cormier fights. And, you know, it just worked out timing-wise that a lot of the ones I attended live were were his. And um, I've also seen both of the John Jones fights. And that was always something that was looming over him. But this thing, this win, had a whole different feel for two reasons. One, it was it was out of John's division. It was an opponent that wasn't John. It was a decisive Cormier finish. Certainly no controversy there. And also, because of the Lesnar confrontation, the th- next thing on the horizon that everybody wanted to talk about was not, okay, now are you going to go fight John Jones? It's, oh my gosh, there's going to be this big money fight with Brock Lesnar. I personally think Cormier could annihilate Brock Lesnar. Yeah, 100%. Right. But, I mean... I mean, because, I mean... 
if you think what Kane did to him yeah. was bad, I think it'll be worse from DC. I agree. I agree. I think, in fact, actually, I mean, those are one of those fights that I would bet my house on. Like, there's no, yeah. I mean, unless Daniel slips going up the stairs, there's no way he's losing a bro. But we don't pretend for a second that there's even a reason to debate, well, gosh, should he fight him or should he fight some? I mean, this is going to be the biggest oh, yeah. payday of his entire career. And, um, uh, but it, you know, John Jones. I, I, was, I guess, I mean, he was brought up to some degree in that post-fight press conference, but I'm telling you, not only did Daniel not have it on his mind, a lot of the media didn't have it on their mind either. Cause he's, yeah, but wait till John fights. When, though? And yeah. who? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. You know what? When we talk about greatest of all times, mm-hmm. the reason why there's a debate when you sit there and go, well, Muhammad Ali versus Mike Tyson. They never crossed paths. Mm-hmm. We don't have a distinct Billy to sit there and go, well, you know, they actually fought each other, right? Yeah. Whereas John, as far as inside the octagon, has talked about being one of the greatest of all times. So he's going to be in that conversation. And then if you say, well, Daniel was one of the greatest of all times, he's in that conversation. They fought each other. Mm-hmm. So you sit there and go, you know, so a kid 20 years from now would be like, hey, what would happen if Daniel and John fought each other? Like, oh, here's a video of what happened. Mm-hmm. John beat him wrestling wise and he knocked him out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so to me, I think that if I was Daniel, I would, if he really wanted to just knock this, you know, if he has a win over John, I think that without a doubt, he wins the argument. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see an argument against it. I'd sit there and go, well, guys, there's nothing you can say that doesn't, would, would lead me to believe that he isn't now considered the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. But, until he beats he John, he, he, I, I, you know, the, the people always gonna have that. I mean, even mm-hmm. if you're not being a dick, even if you're just Daniel's friend, going, yeah. shit, buddy, you know, fuck, you know, that other guy that beats the fuck out of everybody too, and himself, mm-hmm. he kicked your ass. You know what I mean? Like, so that's like that. That's the problem. It's like fuck, Daniel does. I mean, shit, you know, simul- And I think that he's even a one up Connor because Connor never defended a belt. You know, where now you have Daniel. Yeah. I think Daniel surpasses Connor because. Yes, He's defended so, yeah. the light heavyweight belt. Uh, Connor's never defended a belt. Mm-hmm. And then now I think without a doubt that he's going to defend one of the two belts while he's retaining both belts. Mm-hmm. Something that a feat that, that Connor did not do. And the chances of Connor coming back, getting both belts again, probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so the accolades are right there. Just the only thing that's screwing them is the John Jones. I think it's, just like, it's, a, it's a huge target. It's like, well. You know, you know, well, yeah. John, you know, didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, because John outside the fucking cage, but the guy inside the cage, are we talking about the greatest representative ambassador of the sport? Are we talking about pound for pound, who could mm-hmm. kick whose ass? Well, and Cormier is open to that fight. I mean, that was talked about. And it's, so it's not that he's saying, oh, you know, I'm not going to give John Jones another shot. But, and I, I side with Cormier on this. He was sitting there going, here's the problem, guys. This Lesnar thing, you know, big payday, makes all the sense in the world, uh, heavyweight fight. I don't know what's going on with John. I mean, they haven't even even worked all that out. And the problem is John falls in this category now. Like um, uh, Cormier had said earlier in the week that um, he felt like if you had tested positive multiple times and had multiple suspensions and fractions, all this kind of stuff that you really didn't, it kind of disqualified you from that conversation, the, the goat conversation. Now that's debatable, but, but I will say this though. I mean, 
I, I tend to probably agree with that. A lot. Some people don't. But I will say this. John falls into this category now of, like, I don't even know, like, that guy's got so much shit to straighten out. Like, oh, yeah, you know, no. we just don't even know no, fact, when he comes around again. Honestly, the, the person who has to be the most angry about it is Daniel, mm. I think, because yeah. I would be pissed if I was Daniel. Here I did all these things, and the one, you know, it's like you, you painted this perfect picture. There's this one blaring yeah. spot. Yeah. It's like, hey, can you get to that? It's like, no, I can't. There's nothing I can do. It was taken out of my control because this other guy, Yeah. I I don't know when the fuck he's ever going to fight again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, good for him for clearing his mind of it and then, you know, moving on to a huge payday. Mm-hmm. But trust me, it, there's no way that Cormier, as competitive as he is, has mm-hmm. driven him to reach the accolades he has. Mm-hmm. That dude is not sitting there going, eh, who cares? Well, and maybe that becomes his final fight. You know, maybe he goes and beats Brock, which, again, is, you know, people in the know know that that is not a competitive fight. But to the, you know, the proverbial casual fan that we talk about all the time, it's a gold mine to get, you know, a fight with Lesnar. So, okay, great. So you do that. Now maybe that builds, maybe that helps Daniel's star power. You know, maybe all of a sudden when he's like, you know, to the casual fan, holy shit, this guy Cormier beat Lesnar. You know, I didn't think any, you know, that could happen. Then maybe there's more interest in a fight with John. What do you have here, uh, Mike? Uh, Is this John Jones' reaction? Okay. Where was his, uh, Uh, oh, well, he's been busy on, wait, no, no, now you're all, now you're back in June. Go all the way to the top, see what, he put out something. Um, uh, Let's see. Oh, here we go. Here was his reaction. Just keep in mind that life is that life is a journey and not a race. If it's in God's will for me to still be here and healthy, please believe that there'll be many more fights to come. Let's not forget I'm still the youngest guy in the top five at heavyweight and light heavyweight. That's actually not true. Uh, somebody looked at that and was like, he's a little off on the math. But, uh, but regardless... Um, there you go, Frank. It's going to be up to God again, and and we know how he <laughs> fucked us with that uh, Khabib Tony Ferguson fight. You know what though? The one thing though here, it makes you even. I guess there's two ways you can look at this. You either be like, "Wow, that's incredible," or even that much more angry at John for fucking shit up and not yeah. being at the point where he is right now where he should be. But if I mean, look at Daniel. Now he's the best in the world at the next weight class up. Imagine what John would have done to Miocic. Yeah. Or Lesnar. John Jones called out Lesnar, yeah. if you remember that. And, and now that's another thing, too. Now that doesn't factor into the, the GOAT conversation, but if you want to look at like where somebody's at in their career compared to somebody else's, I mean, imagine, you know, someone imagine you saying, you know, going on record, calling somebody out, laying out the plan, you're going to do something. And then, you know, by your own hand, getting it screwed up. And then here comes, you know, your arch rival coming along right behind you. And thank you. I'll take that. Uh, You know, 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 it's sad. And and being a friend of John's, it sucks. It's true that this is definitely going to be a story that you can tell younger athletes that, you know, hopefully John, you know, Mm -hmm. figures this out and this can just be a footnote in his history. But at this point, if we never see John again, it's going to be one of those things to be like, look, being phenomenal at what you do is only part of the equation. Yeah. Because John is the best in the world at fighting somebody inside of a cage. And Daniel is the second best in the world at doing it. But because Daniel has every other aspect of his life squared away, he's out here 
accomplishing things that John's not able to do. And I will also focus on this. I think we got the uh, audio ready yeah, here in a second. Not 100% sure. Okay, I think. okay we'll figure it out. Uh, I will also say this, too, for Cormier. Now he is doing it in a separate division. So now it's kind of like, okay, John, you know, if I'm D.C., uh, people always talked about what you could do at heavyweight if you moved up to heavyweight. Well, I'm up here now. Now I'm the champion. You know, so if you want to show up again, come up here and see what you can do. But in the meantime, I've certainly uh, got that in my uh, in my plus column. By the way, uh, Cormier got a performance of the night bonus uh, for this first round knockout win over Stipe Miocic. Let's listen to because when I asked Cormier here, hopefully we got queued up to the question. What I asked him about was that heavyweight legacy because I said, you know, so much focus, understandably, has been on you as a light heavyweight. It's easy to forget that that resume of you know elite heavyweights we just ran down and does he think that there's still a lot of room in the time that's left to define his heavyweight legacy so that at the end of his career you can actually have a little bit of a conversation about well was he a, was he a greater light heavyweight or was he a greater heavyweight you know there yeah. was no there was no john jones foil at heavyweight there no. was nobody that beat him you know no. let's listen here so I want to fight fights that make sense. So this guy's going to have to do something very special to earn a fight uh, for the 205-pound belt, and I'll do it. I'll go down and fight and wait for Brock. So if I fought again around November, I could fight again around March and be done. Do you see it uh, right here? Can you just describe the scene in the octagon there with Brock? Yeah, sorry, that's not you. you <coughs> that's definitely not me. No, it was weird because like when I was, I run sprints before every fight. We go out, we find a hallway, and I just bust out as many pictures of my kids. And I guess when it's when you step in the octagon, like your your emotions are right and say, yeah, it's whatever the UFC decides. Okay. And last thing, I mean, I know you've been. In your career, you've been booed by fans, even though most. Dang, I'm sorry, guys. That was, that was my fault. It's all right. I'm. That's Kevin Aoli, and I. I. I think I went after him. Oh, okay. John Jones and the biggest events, and I saw more people saying than anything that I was like wrestling with her and stuff. Is there a chance I asked Dana this question, but? Well, anyway, it's okay. You get the idea. Yeah, sorry, sorry. It's all right. Um. So, but what I did was, um. You know, and he expounded on that point is all we were going to hear. But the idea that, yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a champagne problem to have that you you know you you've held the title in one division, and so just a few years ago, when you, you know he he did have a heavyweight title outside of the organization, he was the strike force heavyweight champion. But uh, I just think that's a that's something that um, it's really brought it back into everyone's mindset. Uh, and I think it's important, actually, for his legacy, not only for his legacy, but for the legacy of people that have fought him, like you. Because if imagine somebody looks at this who didn't, you know, live in this era and goes, wait a second, you know, light heavyweight champion, how was he able to beat fill-in-the-blank heavyweight, uh, you know, uh, Frank Mir or Josh Barnett, maybe not realizing, no, 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 this guy was a legit heavyweight. This guy was, you know, another thing that was brought up, too, I'll get your thoughts on this, was his weight because he went into the fight uh, heavier. I think he was 245, 246 or something like that. And he was asked, okay, you know, are you going to continue to carry this extra weight? And he brought up, he said, actually, 
I'm not carrying that much extra weight. He said at light heavyweight, by the time I come in the cage, I'm 230, something like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little heavier, and it worked. He said they were originally planning on cutting the weight, but he was knocking out opponents in camp, and so they they just kept the weight on him. But I guess that's kind of deceptive, too. Like, people think 205, they think John Jones 205, 205 right? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's the night for Daniel Cormier. Now, uh, uh, as we talked about, Lesnar comes in the cage. Uh, they make the fight. Now, here's the story on Lesnar. He just re-entered the USADA testing pool last week. So it's six months. The first time he could fight, I think, is January 8th. So that's the soonest they could make that fight, and who knows what happens between now and then? Because Brock is is uh, notorious for you know popping up over here and then popping up back at the WWE, and maybe they make him a big offer to stay over there. I mean, who knows if it even if it even happens? Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I don't know well, if it, the actually signs it. We'll see. It's funny. Our old producer uh, Travis texted me because he didn't like the wwe stuff you know he's like i don't like it when they do all this i said yeah i said you know brock lesnar is like your your dad that you're estranged from that every few years decides he's gonna get back in your life so he shows up at some important event like a high school graduation or a wedding or That's something an awesome analogy <laughs> yes because yeah, he's came in before and, and then you know and signed with the you know and i think he takes advantage of these opportunities you sure. know he, you know, the UFC so starving to have him, lets him walk into the cage and get the publicity of of challenging and pushing yeah. the heavyweight champ now, and he can just roll that right back out and go into back into pro, pro wrestling. It just yeah. things that still keep him relevant. The co-main event now, of course, the co-main event originally, Frank was supposed to be uh, Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. That was a fight I was most looking forward to, and and uh, Holloway had to pull out of the uh, fight with concussion-like symptoms. We'll talk about that in a second. But the co-main uh, became the former feature bout heavyweight attraction between Francis Ngannou, number one ranked challenger, who was coming off of a defeat uh, to the then champion Stipe Miocic. And uh, everybody's social media favorite, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Frank, this was one of the most lethargic fights in heavyweight history. It was so bad. Um, Nganu landed 11 significant strikes in 15 minutes. I don't, if, if, any, if either one of them broke double digits in significant strike in uh strikes in any of the rounds it wasn't by much it the it was thunderous booing in the crowd it was you know i get i scored the fight um 30 27 for lewis just because he threw some leg kicks and ganu looked so he looked gun shy i mean he just looked timid he looked like he was waiting for uh he wanted to counter and because Lewis wasn't coming with a lot of offense either, uh, boy, it was it was a rough, rough uh, fifteen minutes. Now there were apologies all around. Um, let's uh, let's hear. I guess uh, look. Yeah, here's what Francis Ngannou put on his Instagram. I am not proud of my last performance. I've carried my fear from the last fight to this one. I completely understand the frustration and anger that it has caused to my 
fans, coaches, teammates, family, and friends, and I'm truly sorry for that. I won't let everybody down again. Um, well, that's a candid admission that, hey, I was still screwed up from the Stipe Miosic fight. Now, it's not like Miosic, you know, knocked him unconscious. So it's not like he had the fear of that. But do you think that a fighter, when you've got all that momentum that Nganu had, that if somebody just summarily picks you apart and just absolutely depletes your gas tank for five rounds, that it can have that much of a psychological effect? Could you see that if you're yeah, Ngannou? Yeah, I, I think he was riding a lot of confidence in his power and his ability. Yeah. And I think, you know, it exposed a weakness in his game that, uh, you know, talking to some of his coaches, you know, John Wood, you know, uh, they fixed in practice. He was able to sprawl better, wrestled a lot better. It's just that once he got in there, the memories of that last fight mm -hmm. made him hesitate and worry about being taken down that he just, you know, he, uh, he overanalyzed and paralyzed himself. Yeah. Well, um, I did get to talk to Derek Lewis. Now, first of all, I'm going to say this because I, I gave some credit to Lewis on uh, on my social media for this. First of all, he came in the press conference. You know, you and I have talked about how when we've seen people handle losses the right way, and, and he had something extra to handle. He, I mean, he won the fight, but he what he had to handle was a lackluster performance. But, um, you know, we've talked in the past about when guys have lost, like Dominic Cruz, when he lost to Cody Garbrandt, came in the post-fight press conference and basically was his own analyst. It's like he was breaking down his defeat. Um, Conor McGregor, after he lost to Nate Diaz, you know, handled that the right way. And I gave credit to Derek, not only for coming into the press conference and answering questions, but also being uh, as contrite as he was. Let's give a listen to my question here. Because um, also, there was no post-fight interview, and that's what I'm asking him about. You know that Dana White's pissed. <laughs> When the co-main event, and you're fine on time, it's not like you're up against, it was 9 o'clock, they still had an hour of time left for one more fight, just went, nope, we're not talking to either one of these guys. So my question to Derek Lewis was, if he had had the opportunity for a post-fight interview, what would he have said? Stretch a lot more than what I have been doing. It's coming up in like five seconds. Derek, to your left, right here in the front. Uh, Derek, to your left. Um, there was no post-fight interview, so you didn't really have an opportunity to, to say anything to the crowd. If if you had uh, a, a minute to address them, what, what would you have said if you had that post-fight interview? I don't know. I wouldn't have said nothing. So, <clears throat> so I know it was a bad performance. I was, uh, just would apologize. Apologize to the fans and you know, everybody that, that, um, that betted against me, really. You know, I know... A lot of people betted against me because I was a heavy underdog. Straighten up over there. I know you probably betted against me too, George. He's talking to George yeah. from MMA Chucky. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I'm really happy that I got the win because I know I was a heavy underdog and mofos didn't take me real serious anyway, so I'm glad I got the win. All right. And he actually was was even more contrite with other uh, other members of the media that were asking questions. Like, for example, somebody just asked him, you know, what do they see next for him? Because it is a win. You know, I mean, it's a top five win on paper. But he said that he said uh, he didn't think he deserved to fight anybody right now. He said he thinks he needs to go work on techniques. 
that this win set him back two fights. And he, he said he was particularly embarrassed because he called Francis Ngannou out. He said, well, I'm taking basically – he basically wouldn't share any blame with Ngannou, which, I don't know, to me, he went – too far because it definitely took two but it did seem to me the exact right way to handle a very difficult situation what do you think he didn't try to spin it or make excuses so uh it's understandable i mean i i see why both guys made mistakes i i don't think his was as mental i think his is more physical i think he has a lot of problems with his back i heard that Mm -hmm. when the fight was over with they said he collapsed in the back had to lay down yeah and and you know what he was doing he in between uh rounds he was doing that thing where you're like you know like you do when you have a bad back but we don't often see that from you know the the fighters in the cage where he's just holding his back like it's really giving him a problem yeah so i mean i just think that you know with the physical limitations and still facing a beast in front of him mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was aware that ingana wasn't going to hit him yeah uh so he's still facing a guy that the one of the hardest punchers in the world so i mean i get why the you know you could see all the little things that added up to being you know, the accumulation of what mm-hmm. happened and then having ingano not really putting him in a firefight you know sitting back and hesitating you know it's, a guy hits that hard it's kind of hard sometimes to want to go first you're sitting there kind of wondering what he's going to do so makes sense if you're uh, watching on our phone booth fighting youtube channel you can see the the uh, press conference clips that we're we're playing and and reacting to here let's let's hear dana white's comments about that fight because i'll tell you what um Derek lewis didn't want to blame francis Ngannou, but dana white put um the lion's share of the blame on Ngannou um to be uh uh to be polite i mean he he basically um was very forthcoming about not only his displeasure with nganu but problems he was having with nganu prior to this give this a lesson uh, you talked briefly about the co-main event but uh to you just thoughts on francis nganu i mean he had so much momentum behind him going into the stipe fight uh shows the flaws in his game a little bit then comes back and has this fight where he throws you know 17 strikes the entire fight something like that where do you feel a guy like that goes from here? Horrible. You know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he, he had a, a, a pretty quick rise here, and obviously the fight over Alistar Overeem, uh, you know, catapulted him. You know, the, everybody was talking about him. I thought he was going to be the next guy. I think his ego ran away with him big time. I can tell you that his ego absolutely did run away with him. And the minute that happens to you in the fight game, you see what happens, start to fall apart. I had some personal encounters with him, as did other people in, in the organization. And this guy's ego just was so out of control. It's like, before the Stipe fight, he took off and went to France. Didn't even really train for that fight. And you see the results. Well, then he comes back and he did train, but I just, e- ego is what hurt Francis Ngannou. And then what about Derek? I mean, he mentioned that his back was giving him some big problems again going in there, and he admitted that he felt that even though he won, his stock ended up dropping. Um, do you give him any leeway going I don't in agree. There, I don't agree that his stock dropped. And, and that's a problem that he's going to have. He's a fun guy. He's funny. He's, you know, when he gets in there and throws, it, the, the fights are exciting. But he always has problems with his back. And, and that is going to be a problem for him, you know, in there with... You know, you, you don't want to go in there with a bad back with Cormier. 
or you know any of these other heavyweights. And um, but I like him, and I don't think that his stock drops at all. He won the fight, you know. If you look at his fights, tell me the last time he was in a boring fight. Tonight. Tonight was the last time he was in a, in a boring fight. And, and like I said, the card was so good tonight, people will forget about that. And the heavyweight championship was so good, it was immediately erased from people's memories. And I know right. you don't talk. Thank you. That fight was, uh, or the video was from uh, MMA Fighting. So there you go. I mean, what do you think about the comments about Nganu and the ego and all that? Yeah, I, I didn't know if I, I, that's the first I heard of it when mm -hmm. he said that. Uh, I wasn't aware that Nganu was being egotistical. Mm. He hasn't come across that way. He hasn't no. had any public uh, anything that no, I've seen. When I met seen. him, I mean, seems yeah. like a very genuinely nice, mm -hmm. you know, guy. I mean, he trains like an animal, but, you know, as far as just, uh, I didn't read that off of him. Mm -hmm. You know, to Dana's point about Derek Lewis, and it, I didn't really think of it until just now, but when he talks about, okay, name a time Derek Lewis has been in a boring fight, normally I wouldn't say this is an asset for a fighter, but you know what Derek Lewis has going for him is he is the gassiest-looking non-gasser sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. he can be in the, the third round or the fourth or fifth round of a fight and look like he's just on death's door and win the fight. Finish it. I mean, that's what happened in the Travis Brown fight. Remember yeah. that? I mean, yeah, he was grabbing his stomach. It, it was, he doubled over from a front kick. Yeah. Yeah, he was, and then knocked him out cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he did that in the Tibura fight, too. So it's like, you know, that's something that... Oh, that, yeah, he was getting wrestled mm -hmm, to death in that mm -hmm. fight. Yeah. So that's something that Lewis... I guess maybe he's got a little equity in the bank with that sort of thing. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, one bad fight's not going to find you. And that's the good thing is that he's had enough. You know, this would have been a nightmare if this was his debut. Right, right. The uh, the working man's uh, fight prize goes to Mike Perry and Paul Felder. Perry decisioned Paul Felder, split decision in an action packed bloodbath you know this fight came about because paul felder uh was supposed to fight our buddy james vick the tech executioner right. uh executioner now is gonna fight justin gagey which is a more high profile fight for him in fact i think that's a main event on a fight night card so understandably vick wanted to take that fight felder was left without a fight he took uh, this fight with mike perry and uh felder moved up to welterweight for the fight I actually thought, I mean, it was a tough fight to judge, but I could also see Felder winning the fight. I mean, it was that close. But, um, you know, Felder, and we're going to hear some audio of me talking to Mike Perry in a second because Perry has uh, switched camps. He's gone over to Jackson Winklejohn. <clears throat> but um, Felder, first time I saw him fight, it did not surprise me that he had trained with Donald Cerrone because there was something about – it was just something about his vibe, like something about his work ethic, something about his grit and his meanness and stuff like that, that I could see those two really gelling. And now that I see him jumping up in weight class on very short notice to stay in a fight and he just wants to fight and everything, that's another thing that reminds me a lot of Cowboy. You know, I'm not, I don't know that Felder, it's, we can't honestly say at this point that he's going to end up having the career of Cerrone. We'll see. But, I'm just drawing a couple of uh, similarities there that I, I think are complementary to him. Um, all right, here's uh, – do we have the Perry audio? Now, Perry 
has moved to uh, Jackson Winklejohn, and I asked him about making that transition uh, because I don't know if you remember, Frank, uh, up until his last fight, Perry had his, his girlfriend in the corner with him. Yeah. And I don't think – I could be wrong, but, I mean, I don't think she was really like a mixed martial artist. I could be wrong, but that didn't – feel that way so anyway he's uh he's traded up not not in the hotness uh um, category but in the the knowledge category with uh greg jackson so let's take a look here uh mike to your uh left right here front um now now that you got the camp change under your belt win with the new camp how would you characterize what that camp change has meant to you compared to maybe if you were in that fight tonight but you hadn't made the change? What do you feel like were the, the biggest benefits, what paid off? Uh, working with styles from all over the world at one of the biggest gyms in the world that people come from all over. I got to see so many different martial arts styles, techniques. Uh, working with one of the best kickboxers, um, Definitely the best kickboxer I ever met in Frank the Tank. Him holding mids for me, working with me. And, you know, he's the type of coach that he doesn't just hold the mitts and tell you what to do. He can put the gloves on and show you where you're making your mistakes. And as definitely what I needed. Uh, my other camp was great, but it was full of grapplers. And that's not really my fight, fighting style. I found uh, some people who are a little crazier like me. They like to get in there and bite down and, and get into fights. And uh, we all know that's what I like to do. I, I do it every time. What a, all right, thanks. You know, Frank, the importance of when, when a guy like Perry comes along, I mean, he came into uh, the UFC as a, an undefeated fighter on smaller shows. I think every one of his fights had ended in a first-round knockout yeah, and and showed some real ability, uh, certainly. But at the same time, you know, the holes were detected in his game and he suffers a couple of losses. What is so important at that point about maybe trying to catch on with a, with a bigger camp like Jackson Winklejohn in your mind? Well, it's just about getting back and, and winning ways, but showing that, you know, just because you have the raw talents and abilities that it does take a lot of work, but proper intelligent work, you know, people can work hard. You know, I hate when I hear people talk about hard work. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, hard work doesn't make you better. And really hard work is more often than not, I attribute to people that aren't very bright. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about working smarter. And that's one that he could see now stepping out of a smaller pond and jumping into a bigger pond the type of individuals that he's exposed to, that they can develop his technique. And if he's going to be willing to be humble, because it's always easy to be the big fish, right? In the small pond. Right. It sucks when you jump up a level and all of a sudden you're not the baddest guy in the room anymore. And, and you know, you're not even close to the top. <laughs> so, uh, there's that humility level, but the, the, the advantage is, is that after a couple losses, you're willing to go and put that to the side and, and, and reinvent yourself and try to, you know, submerge yourself into the, learning new things. That's a good point because as I think about Perry and I told this story on here before you know when I first saw him he came into the UFC he was a late replacement I can't remember who he replaced but he was a late replacement uh and got his shot and he was doing a media day he was set up next to Cowboy Cerrone huge crowd around Cowboy Cerrone no one talking to Mike Perry yeah, though they're always. playing Clash Clans or something but um smart guy yeah but I went over and uh and interviewed him and I came away from that I remember telling him that day I said 
you were ready for this interview. Like all it took was somebody to talk to him, and he made it seem like he was he was talking to me like where he wanted to be, not necessarily where he was right then. But the downside of that, and you just pointed this out, is if you've got all of that confidence in yourself, but then you get there and you're like, oh, this didn't come quick, right. then sometimes people just flame out. There's a real there's a real level change right there, isn't there, where you have to go, okay, I belong here, but with new levels come new challenges, and I have to recognize the fact that that I'm – I'm getting checked here a little yeah. bit, and I got a. There's gotta, a graph one time I saw on the internet, and I saved it on my phone. Mm -hmm. uh, that really made me go, "Shit, that is so true." Mm -hmm. Where it talked about confidence and you know, and experience, and it showed that the person who has very little experience is confidence was like mm -hmm. through the roof. It was a ten, but you mm -hmm. know, one on experience. Then as the experience on the uh, the horizontal line started going to two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. The confidence started dropping mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and until all of a sudden, you know, he's halfway through and it's like his confidence is an ultimate low. Mm -hmm. And then with more and more experience, the confidence starts to rise again. So it's kind of showing that like the guy who's at the end of the journey is just as confident as the guy at the beginning. It's that middle part you have to fight through. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Max Holloway for a second. Now, he had to pull out of this fight with uh, Brian Ortega. It was supposed to be the co-main event for uh, Holloway's featherweight title shot, uh, a striker against uh, one of the, the, the real uh, elite jiu-jitsu practitioners, certainly of the, the, the younger breed here with Brian Ortega. And uh, that fight got canceled. And it was canceled, still not, not a lot of explanation about this, not definitive. I can tell you a lot of media guys – when we were, uh, you know, sitting around in our secret meetings and stuff, we're all huddled up going, what did you hear? What did you hear? You know, what's your theory? It can't just be that uh, these symptoms came on out of nowhere. But there was a particular video, Frank. Uh, this was on UFC Tonight. It was Michael Bisping interviewing Max Holloway. Now, this was earlier in the week before he pulled out of the fight. And tell me what you see with the way Holloway's talking here because it was so – uh, alarming to Bisbing that Bisbing actually commented on it after the the uh, the video interview. Like, hey, I don't I don't think something's right here. Let's listen. So it's huge. Well, Max, you say you feel great, and you know, don't be offended when I say this, but you look like you just got out of bed. Are you tired? What's going on? How's the weight cut? You know, are you drained? I mean, you you look a little sleepy. Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. A little, a little bit tired. They got me doing a bunch of media stuff, but I'll be fine, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to All go right. out there and do it. Good thing. to know. As I say, no offense, but you just look like, you know, you're ready to fall asleep on me there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Max, you know, speaking of which, you know, how is the weight cut going? Do you think this is going to be your last fight at 145? Uh, we see what happens, you know. There's a bunch of guys at uh, 145, and uh, it's, just, it's just a question of uh, who at 55, you know, right now. No disrespect to the 55ers, but it's a log jam. You know, we finally undid the log jam at 45 to just go back up and uh, back with a log jam up at 55 would be uh, kind of ridiculous. So we got to sit to sit down with UFC and we have that talk. You know, we figure out when, who, and of course the medical reasons why is too. So you know, when we have that talk after this fight, uh, we figure it out. And Max, unfortunately, Yancey wasn't able to be with you for this camp. Was it more difficult uh, heading into this one? Not at all, you know, it's kind of depressing that uh, I can't have my man, my right-hand man, you know, he was there the whole camp with me, and then uh, 
when I was doing uh, some tour in uh, NYC for the media, we had the text saying that uh, he won't be able to make it out. I was uh, I was kind of kind of sad, but uh, you know everything happened for a reason. He'll be back, and uh, I can't wait. Thanks for joining us, Max. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you, brothers. All right. Did you see anything there? I mean, he looked like a guy who was cutting weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What day was that on? That must have been on, like, Tuesday, maybe, somewhere around there, because he was out of the fight by Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, Tuesday, cutting weight, three days out. I mean, he looks a little lethargic from – if you told me that was just a weight cut, a little mm-hmm. dehydrated. They're saying that it didn't have anything to do with the, uh, with the weight cut. That's his camp saying that. Now, we'll give you this, too. One of the uh, media guys told me that because he did the open workout on Wednesday. That's what raised a lot of concerns as well because he did the open workout and he he didn't do much at all. Now, some guys don't do much at all, the open workouts. You know, some guys just turn into a Q&A or something like that. But Max usually puts on a little bit of a show. One of the media guys told me, and I'm just saying one of the media guys because I don't know if he's on the record about this or not, but they looked at the video that they shot because they're right up against the mat. And the uh, striking coach is calling out combos. Max not even throwing the right punches. It was like he was getting the numbers confused. You know? It's crazy. I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, is there anybody aware of him taking a severe shot in practice? Or So one theory that I heard was, and this was not based on anything, this was just kind of guys going on their knowledge of how things have happened in the past. Maybe, maybe you would know something about where something like this has happened in the past, that – if he got, let's say he got knocked out in training, that they don't want to have to say that. You know, they don't want to call out whoever did it. They don't want to – they just want to keep that in-house, and so they're not acknowledging well, it. you do that up until this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, mm-hmm. But, you know, once that, you know, something like this occurs and now he's taken out of the fight, then – an explanation would help, you know, alleviate a lot of the fears that other people are going to be having. Yeah. Because if you don't give people a reason, they're going to start digging for a reason. And that's exactly what everybody's and doing. I, and I wouldn't want to have a doctor yeah. digging in my head. Yeah. Or anybody who's fought for any length of time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people kind of probably feel that way. It's like, look, you know, I'll go and get a general checkup, but. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure if you look hard enough on anybody, we can find something wrong with you that you can be depressed about, you know? Yeah. And as a fighter, something comes up, some kind of weird abnormality that that maybe they wouldn't have seen otherwise that is probably, you know, look at poor Dan Hardy. Mm-hmm. That whole mm-hmm. uh, wolf heart syndrome shit that he has, right? Mm-hmm. The guy has nothing wrong with him, you know, as far as he obviously can push himself to some very hard limits. He's been in some of the toughest fights I've ever seen in yeah. his, his conditioning, his heart rate. I've been up in the mountains and ran with the guy. The guy is fucking in phenomenal shape. And they said, oh, that. the people that, you know, have this syndrome, if you push him too hard, they could have a heart attack. I'm like, well. I think that he's proven that, that he won't have a heart attack, mm-hmm. but because they looked at him hard enough, they found this and it retired him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and Dana did say uh, after the uh, the fight card that uh, Holloway, there was no update on him, but they're going to be very careful about it, and he, they're not planning to have him fight anytime soon. This isn't a deal where they're like, all right, let's get it rescheduled for next month or something like that. So um, hopefully it doesn't end up costing him his title or something like that, you know, or have yeah, to. Yeah, who knows what it is? I mean, there's all kinds of different stuff that people can have Yeah, that could cause, you know, shit, you know. Yeah. I hope it's nothing more serious. Well, me too. I mean, I mean, hopefully it is within the realms. I mean, not hopefully. Something like a concussion where some time off or yeah. just, you know, some proper healing can help alleviate the issue. But, you know, they dig deeper and they find out he has something awful. You know, right. it's like, oh, it was, you know, it was the first signs of stage whatever this, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I don't even want to, like, name something just to jinx the shit, you know, like, yeah. but, you know. Speaking of uh, that type of evaluation, we could uh, jump to this real quick, uh, Mikey. Did you see that uh, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz faced off <laughs> at the, uh, was this the World MMA Awards, I think? Um, it's interesting that they faced off, Frank, on the red carpet in front of the UFC backdrop. And keep in mind, this is uh, Oscar De La Hoya is going to be paying these guys to fight for a third time. No date set yet uh for this but uh it is uh it's gonna happen here's the uh here's the video of the face-off is this oh hold on i think uh, that's what i'm there. looking for right there yeah do you have audio what do I get that? Alright guys. Don't train too hard, dude. Wanna make sure you make it there. Yeah, that was uh that was on the red carpet. I like it how the, <laughs> the photographers were like, Oh, right over here, please, right over here. Like like it's a, a runway fashion shoot, and then then when you hear the other guy go, okay, all right, guys, we're good, you know. Tito, how about one over the shoulder? Yeah, yeah. Um, so De La Hoya, I guess, has paid enough money to make this thing happen. Here's some numbers for you, Frank, about this. Uh, courtesy of MMA Junkie, that video was courtesy of them, by the way. Um, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz have a combined age of 91. Uh, Liddell is 48 and he last fought eight years ago. Uh, he lost five of his final six fights. Ortiz is four and three. Of course, he has uh, recently fought in Bellator. Uh, he won three of his past four, but uh, before he unretired and signed with Bellator, he went one, seven, and one in his final nine fights in the UFC. I know we've talked about, I think when it came up with Chuck before, you know, you were saying, hey, let's see if he gets clear and all that kind of stuff. What, do you, what are your thoughts now that it actually appears that it's going to happen? Hey, you know what? If uh, people are going to pay to watch them fight, I mean, they were two legends of the sport. Um, you know, more power to them, you know, to be able to get a payday and go out there and compete. Uh, as long as they pass medicals and it's going to be as safe as it can possibly mm -hmm. be in the realms of our sport, I'm not going to get in the way of it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen Bellator have success with 
the legends matchups and stuff. Now the yeah. Bellator does. Here's the thing though: Bellator does it the right way because they they'll build do them up. Yeah, and, well, and also you know they'll do. Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie, but as a co-main, and then the main event is, you know, whether it's Chandler or Patricky Pitbull, or whoever, whoever they're putting on there is like an actual modern day, you know, so it's a diversity type thing. The only thing that I'm apprehensive of, and hopefully Chuck Liddell is smart enough or is able to be in a position where if he sees it, he just isn't able to perform, mm -hmm. he can pull the trigger and mm -hmm. say, okay, you know, this ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. Even if they build up to it, you know, and he's a couple months out from this fight and he just knows because he's been doing it his whole life yeah. that he's not performing like he should perform. You know, I've seen those boxing, I've seen that in the boxing world where you see the Muhammad Ali oh, yeah. shouldn't yeah. be fighting anymore. Yeah. And not because it was unhealthy for him, but it's just because he was such a great fighter I don't want – it's kind of like, you know what, I've gotten to the point now in my life because I've seen it when my, 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 my younger brother passed away. Uh, early on, one of my very close friends died back, you know, uh, 10 years ago now. I made the mistake of looking in the casket. And not everybody can have their own opinion on this. I don't do that either. Yeah. I know what you're going to say. I don't I'm look just, at caskets. Yep. Mm -hmm. I don't look at open caskets. Same way. I want – people are like, oh, closure, closure. You're not fucking here. I don't need mm -hmm. closure. I know you're dead. Right. I, I understand the concept. Uh, I don't want – you know, because those images, both those images are fucking burned in my brain. Yeah. And I can never – like right now, I just pictured it. I can't have a conversation about either one of those guys, my brother Shad or, or you know, uh, or Forrest, you know, without – eventually my brain goes and that I picture him there in the casket. It just does not look that deflated, weird makeup up look. I don't like to see that shit. Yeah. Right? So now I've saved that for my wife and kids. They know that I'm being cremated mm -hmm. that unless they see me at, on my deathbed, they're not going to see what I look like after I die. Cause I, I don't want them to struggle with that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, should I go mm -hmm. look at dad? Should I not fuck that? I made the decision for you. You don't want to see me. So same thing. Like I don't want to, and I'm pretty, confident that Tito because we just only saw him about a year ago. Yeah, he's by far the more active, yeah, let alone the younger he's one. He still well yeah. represents his uh, skills and his abilities. Yeah. And, you know, to see Chuck go out there, I'm just worried that are we going to see a guy that shouldn't be fighting or are we going to see a guy look, I expect him to be a little slower. I expect him, you know, his timing he hasn't fought in fucking eight years. Even if you're in your 20s and you take eight years off, you're probably not going to look phenomenal, you know, when right. you first come back. But I just don't want to see somebody that is a you know you know a shell of his former self and and I guess the worst thing I think for a fighter look being loved or being hated is not or awesome actually mm -hmm. to be honest with you because both those people are into you uh, they pay your bills you're paying attention whether you want yeah. to see me get knocked out or knock someone out you're watching. I don't want apathy. I don't want sympathy. I don't want people to sit there and go ah oh, shit look at him. Mm -hmm. That poor guy, fuck. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Do you see how pathetic he looks? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, geez. Oh, my grandfather could do a better job than mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like, that is a horrible feeling as a martial artist, especially one as great as Chuck Liddell was, for him to have to be out there for the cheers. And so then I question, you know, like, as long as he's doing it for the right reasons, then he should make those decisions. Now, if he's somebody who was on an ambassador contract from the UFC, made a lot of money for probably not doing much more than hanging out and partying with a couple of executives and they flew mm -hmm. in town for fights, uh, all of a sudden they take that away from him. What's his financial status? Mm -hmm. And I really don't know. 
I, I can't even tell you I have a glimpse of a rumor. I, I don't know what kind of businessman Chuck is. Mm -hmm. uh, I have more of a, a feeling that Tito's never going to die poor. Mm -hmm. That guy is very astute businessman. Chuck, I, I couldn't tell you either way, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So if he's fighting for money, that scares me because then the chances of us seeing a broken down version of himself that shouldn't be in there is a lot higher. But if he's fighting because he's like, look, man, I still have the, you know, just because I'm 48 doesn't mean I'm dead. I still yeah. have all the same feelings and emotions I had when I was 38 and when I was 28 and when I was 18. I, I want to go out there and compete. I want to punch someone in the face. I want to fight. I want to hear the crowd roar. I'm like, all right, cool. That guy, I'll, I'll pay to watch. Because I know that that guy leading up to a fight, if he goes in the ring and he goes to spar somebody where he has some high school kid who's taking him down at will, it's like, wow, shit, man. You know, mm -hmm. he, that guy will go, I don't got it anymore. Yeah. You know, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll pull the trigger. But if that guy's fighting for money, he's going to sit there and go, fuck, I don't have it anymore, but it doesn't matter. I got a fucking yeah. bill on the fucking horizon that I got to take care of. I, I got kids. I got a wife. What am I supposed to do? And that scares me because then that, that to me is the recipe for disaster. And see, I can, I can adjust my expectations. Yeah. If somebody can clear the medicals and if somebody, like you said, if they're not being matched up against the, the, 22 year old collegiate wrestling phenom or whatever if it's something that is appropriate and at least on two other occasions this fight was appropriate the well, only we have it in other sports i mean think about it. even yourself yeah you go to a jiu-jitsu competition we have a 35 right. and older class we have a 40 and over class right shit i mean i was just talking to jose canseco they have a a league for the baseball softball guys that all these former baseball players mm. play in. He goes, oh, next year I could be in the senior senior. I'm in the 55. So men still have the urge to compete, mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. Shit, I still have the urge to compete. I don't think that you, you know, it's it, it's like it's almost like I know that shocks people. Like, oh, he's 48, he still wants to fight. I'm like, hey, you know, your grandparents probably still fuck too, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hate to break you the news, but all of a sudden when you hit 60, it's not like all of a sudden pussy just becomes unappealing anymore. You know. Fuck, man! Now that they invented Viagra, look—I yeah. mean, the fucking uh, all those old people are killing each other in there. Yeah. You know I mean? like, so you're saying some old guys still get hot when they see a, a an attractive yeah, woman? Chuck Liddell still gets hot when he sees Tito Ortiz. Yeah, that's I what mean, you're saying. he sees guys hitting the bag, he moves around. No, honestly, yeah. he still has the same ambitions sure, and draws. Now, some people can appease that competitive itch. Some guys yeah. sit there and go, you know what? I don't want to go out there and embarrass myself. I don't want to go out there and get hurt. And that might weigh it out. Not that they don't still maybe have the urge to go, man, I wish I can go out there. But they're like, yeah, but my knees, my back, my shoulder, my hands. No, you know what? I'm not going to do it. You know, you know, they, they, it all comes together. The factor that pushes that guy over, though, it's like, yeah, but I'll give you 500 grand. All right, fuck it, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Really? You're going to mm -hmm. strap up and do it anyways? Fuck yeah, I'm going to. Uh, let's go, you know, like... So that scares me. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see when the time and date is announced. And, you know, I don't know. I'll tell you another thing I hope they don't do, too. And not that it, it they probably won't matter in terms of, I don't know, if they're trying to do this on pay-per-view or whatever. I guess they are. I'm, I don't want to see Golden Boy do the boxing model, the boxing pay-per-view model, where it's this fight as a main event and nothing worth seeing on any other fight on the card. 
How many boxing matches over the years have you seen like that? Well, it's you all know? the boxing Yeah, and, yeah. and I just hope that, you know, and there's not a lot of free agent talent available. No, because They don't if, even build shit up, man. Mm-hmm. Boxing is the worst. They are the building worst. Building guys up. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I watched uh, Pacquiao fought Mayweather, right? Mm-hmm. I'm used to, because I've been trained that way, because that's how boxing is, I was going to just turn the channel on when it was time for those fuckers to fight. Somebody happened to fucking put the TV on early, and I'm sitting there, and I look over, and I see this fucking blonde kid just fucking slapping the shit out of somebody. I'm like, holy fuck, who's that guy? It's Lomachenko. Mm-hmm. Now the guy that like I'm obsessed with as a boxer is like, holy fuck. You know, I see the guy's name. And, you know, they're talking about him. I'm watching. I Google the guy. I'm like, holy shit, this fucking guy is a phenom. Why have I not heard of him? Mm-hmm. Did no one want to tell me about this guy? It's like... They are the fucking worst at marketing shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. So hopefully uh, if if they're going to do it, it'll be done as, uh, as right as it can be done. Uh, also, just a couple of quick notes here to finish out the UFC 226 card, Frank. Anthony Pettis submits Michael Chiesa in the second round. Pettis had previously lost five of his last seven fights. He gets a performance of the night bonus for this. And I think more importantly, Frank, looked like Anthony Pettis. You know what I mean? And against a, a quality opponent, too. Chiesa uh, was top ten, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so, if not right on the cusp of it. But uh, here, I'll check that. But, yeah, here's a little highlight here. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, Pettis really needed this win. He needed the win, and he needed to look good doing it, I think. Yeah, I was starting to get to that point where. Well, yeah, you just wonder. Just wondering what was wrong. Yeah, with him. he's throwing some some of these uh, Showtime style kicks. Yeah, he came. Pettis came in ranked number uh, twelve, nice right and Kessa was ranked nine. Yeah, top ten opponent. Nice arm in. Yeah, this is the triangle. This is the finish right here. I think. Beautiful technique. Yeah. Pulling down on the shin, turn the corner properly, now he's going over the arm. You look great. You know, it reminds you of, you know, the days of submitting Benson Henderson back when Benson Henderson, you yeah, know. Yeah, a nice right hand to set it off with and yeah. then being, you know, taking chances, being explosive. That's something about his style that I think has kind of hurt him lately. Now that i just seen him do that, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's reminiscent of the old him. Taking chances, you know, just mm-hmm. being explosive because he is yeah. really a phenomenal athlete and he's so versatile as a striker and that I think that's what made him dangerous. And I think fighting more conservatively when he started getting those losses actually only helped, you know, funnel it even even his problems to a greater degree. Yeah. Yeah, so it was good to see Anthony Pettis uh, back in uh, true form. Khalil Roundtree, uh, former Ultimate Fighter contestant, TKO's Gogan Saki, the uh, Turkish, uh, highly decorated Turkish kickboxer, one minute and 30 seconds into the first round. This was a major upset. Uh, Oh, you got it here? Okay. Let me see a little bit of what happened here. Yeah, this one was a big upset. And that's it. Um, Roundtree got a uh, performance of the night bonus for this, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, they're stopping fights too fucking early now. <laughs> oh yeah, you'd given a little more time there. Yeah. 
That was referee Jason Herzog. He was at uh, he was at Big John McCarthy's uh, command class. Yeah, His, well, John uh, and I don't see eye to eye on this whole stoppage thing. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck fighter safety. I went to uh, <laughs> next time we have John on, we'll talk more about this. But if you heard him on with us the last couple of weeks, I actually went and. Uh, audited some of his command course uh, that he does once a year for the judging and refereeing. It was really cool. I wish I could have seen more of it, but I was spread pretty thin with all the the uh, UFC media obligations. But it was very cool. It was like an intensive three-day course. He had uh, Jason Herzog up there. He had uh, Mike Beltran up there, who, by the way, before he demonstrates techniques, tucks his mustache into his shirt. I always wondered how he trained with that. Mike Beltran. Yeah. No, yeah, he refed me in my last match. Yeah, because, uh, you know, either whether it's a gi or a rash guard. But the thing is, the mustache is so long, it's like ponytails. I mean, it comes down to his waist. Yeah. So he's just like, oh, hold on a second. He just grabs his mustache and stuffs it in his shirt before he, he could, like, demonstrate something. Tie it up. Yeah, he probably could. He could probably do a man bun, yeah. but with his, uh, yeah, with his mustache, Mike. Yeah, it's a good it's point. funny. Also, uh, Paulo Costa. Uh, remains undefeated. Uh, TKO's Uriah Hall in the second round, a performance of the night bonus for him. You know what, Frank? This guy, Costa, who uh, came into the fight uh, ranked number 10 as a middleweight, defeats Hall, who uh, was ranked one spot above him. Costa's coming along at the right time for Brazil, I think, Frank, because, you know, after – all the the legends of uh, uh, Brazilian mixed martial arts, you know, a lot of them are either retiring or in the twilight of their career. And uh, boy, now all of a sudden you got a very exciting prospect coming along. Yeah, he looked menacing against uh, Riggs last time I think I remember watching him, and then this one. Yeah. Yeah, strong finish there from Paulo Costa. And that uh, that was it. That was more or less it. Uh, those were the highlights. It was a UFC 226. It's always nice when these cards turn out well, despite a high-profile fight, you know, dropping out and that sort of thing. And um, uh, it ended the right way with uh, you know a legendary. Uh, main event that's one people are not going to forget uh coming up later on the week we've got a big bellator card bellator has two big cards this weekend frank you realize they're doing back-to-back shows this weekend they're doing bellator 202 friday two title fights on the line the women's featherweight title and the men's bantamweight title and then the very next night bellator 203 uh patricio pitbull is going to defend his featherweight title and he's doing that over in rome bellator goes to rome have you noticed that Yeah. yeah Yeah, Bellator's got the the Rome market. It's like the down. second time in the last three months. Right? I th- think so. Yeah. It sure seems like it. Um, so they've got uh, big back to back cards. So we need to break that down on our next episode. Uh, we've also got uh, Julian, the Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez, coming in. You saw him fight on the Ultimate Fighter uh, finale card Friday, and find I, I had him winning. Uh, but uh, nice guy. I met him this weekend, and he wanted to come in and, and uh, do the show with us. So he's going to be doing that. And um, so big things coming up uh, over the next week or so. More fun shows planned. Uh, like I said, we'll get into some more Bellator talk uh, on the next episode so uh, how long are you here you here for a week yeah i'll be here till next tuesday okay and where are you going cyprus no what are you doing over there Uh, we'll be calling fights for acb and then i think i'm home for a day and then off to kazan 
Kazan. Yeah, do you even know what Kazan is? No, I thought that was a Disney movie. Yeah, I didn't know what it was either, so don't do that. <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> Somewhere in Russia. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the uh, the always busy travel schedule of Frank Mir. Uh, all right, Frank, um, do me a favor. I want you to do me a couple of things here real quick. First of all, tell everybody about the importance of going to iTunes, looking us up, and clicking those five stars. It's working that we're asking people to do it because I checked it today, and a bunch more people have. Oh, cool. Yeah, keep doing that. Click on the five-star review. It's a great way to help us out here at the show. And leaving reviews, we do yep. occasionally go and look at them, and uh, we'll probably do it Read them on the air. We absolutely well, like I to do. read them on the air. So look up Phone Booth Fighting and iTunes. Uh, Mikey is uh, learning about <laughs> Kazan right now. Yep. And... Uh, I'll uh, tell you what, Mikey, if you will, on the next episode that you're on, could you prepare a little uh, report on Kazan? Kazan, yeah. Yeah. Their, their average rainfall and population. You know what? That'd Actually, be... you look up Cyprus. I looked Cyprus yeah. up, and I got a little nervous. Actually, that would be funny. We should do that with Mikey. So, like, when, when you're getting ready to go <laughs> somewhere for ACB, reports, yeah, you don't know anything about where you're going, and we you know we throw it to Mikey to give you a cliff note. Yeah, so I'm going uh, to Lamassol cyprus and i didn't know much about it so i google yeah. it and the first thing on the news feed was you know a bomb went off uh-oh and i'm like oh shit <laughs> yeah there's like a, a because of this turkish and and, and greece fighting yeah. over the area you have northern cyprus and then there's this muslims and orthodox and this yeah it's uh, like in the mediterranean gulf there yeah so there, there's some unhappy people with each other <laughs> yeah that's a that's that's in the definitely. The I always love having my guns taken away from me and sent where people are pissed at. Yeah, each other. right. <laughs> are you going to? That's what I'm working right on my stand-up yeah. act. Keep yeah, laughing. That's good, actually. No, have you written that down? That's a good note. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, that actually. Well, no, I was just off yeah. the cuff. No, no, remember that. Keep them um, laughing. Keep them laughing. If I yeah. can't shoot you, I'll make you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> are you just accumulating so many? Uh, air miles that you'll never have to play for pay for another plane ticket the rest it of your life. It does help out. Like when we went to uh uh <laughs> um shit, where did I just go? The Bahamas. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Nassau. Yeah, no, I was able to pay for points, get us our flights there and back. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. All right. Uh, also, the Amazon banner, Frank. More people have been using that. That's very helpful as well. That Amazon banner right there on the front of phoneboothfighting.com. You keep telling me if I'm going to shop on Amazon, I need to go to phoneboothfighting.com and click through that Amazon banner. Why in the world would you have me do that? Well, fucking Amazon's awesome. You don't have to leave your house and you get to buy shit. Mm. And then when you buy that shit by clicking on our banner, a small percentage comes back to here to us here at the show. And no extra cost to you. So, so it's a great way to help us out by really only one extra step. Click through our banner on our website. Page. Tell them how to follow us on social media. Uh, Facebook, you can find us on uh, Phone Booth Fighting, and Instagram, Phone Booth Fighting, Snapchat, Twitter, it's Phone Booth Fight. That's it. We're, we're starting to, tr I'm trying to Instagram, do more Instagram stories too, by the way, on Phone Booth Fighting. Uh, I don't know, Instagram stories. Yeah, I know, we got to do a yeah. tutorial at some point on that. I still don't know how to do Snapchat. I know. Well, it's it's, it's all right. We'll, we'll just focus uh, someone on Someone was talking the other day that you can actually talk to people on Facebook. Uh, yeah, you can call. Yeah, you can call them like with the messenger. Yeah, it's, it's super weird. Yeah, it was fucking new to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird because there's so many different ways to reach people. Do you remember the days of when you know there was the day when you only had the landline, but then there was the pager. Then there was the cell phone. Then there was the like fax number. I mean, I remember at one point, you know, people would have a business card that have six different numbers yeah. on it, and it's kind of gotten it. But then it came. Then it all trimmed down to a cell phone. You know, like I only have a cell phone. 
social media is that same way now because it's like there's seven different yeah. ways. We were actually Frank and I were were doing some some business stuff while you were in uh, the Bahamas, and Frank was hitting me up, and he's like, "Hey, have you heard from?" It was actually uh, uh, David from Gimbaru, and you're like, "Hey, have you gotten the stuff from him?" And I'm like, "No, I hadn't heard from him." And he goes, "Oh, well, he's on WhatsApp." And I was like, oh, okay, shit. I don't check that one all the time. So, you know, I find him over there. And you don't have send notifications to you? I, I do now. I just didn't have that yeah, check. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's like, you know, there's like six, seven different yeah, what's you know, things a huge to one keep now, up man. with. Especially yeah. if you do, you know, especially as international as I mm-hmm. am. Um, shit, I don't know what I would do without WhatsApp. You'd have some expensive-ass fucking phone bills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will uh, reconvene here in the Bent Pixel Studios uh, uh, for the next episode before Frank has to take off again. We want you to join us. And uh, in between now and then, do us one favor, uh, even though we already asked you for a couple, and that is tell a friend. Tell a friend about this phone booth fighting show. It is free. It is twice a week for you guys, and uh, that's how we're going to grow it organically, one listener at a time, and by you guys referring us to your friends. So, for uh, Porno Mikey over there uh, doing a great job of uh, producing and educating us on the country of Cyprus. And for Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting.